And support for WMNF comes from listeners like you and the Times Festival of Reading on Saturday, November 11th. The festival brings authors writing about today's compelling topics and most read fiction for discussions about their books. This year, the Times Festival of Reading will be at the Palladium in St. Petersburg. More information at festivalofreading.com. That's one word, festivalofreading.com. And good morning and welcome to The Skinny for Friday, October 27th. I'm Mitch Perry, senior reporter with the Ford of Phoenix, joined by my colleagues, freelance journalist Ben Montgomery and Ray Roa, editor-in-chief with Creative Loafing Newspaper. Good morning, guys. Good morning, hey. Mitch. How are you doing today? Ray, we have not seen you in the I studio know, for a while. I feel like a ghost. Welcome oh, back, Ray. Good to see you. So coming up on the show, we've got a couple of different guests on the program today. Uh, new numbers came out recently from the CDC showing fatal drug overdoses are down slightly nationally, though in some Tampa Bay area counties, they have seen an increase in that time frame. So later in the show, we'll talk to one man based in Pinellas County whose organization is working on continuing to try to drive those numbers down. And in a moment, we'll talk to uh, some uh, guest here about the upcoming Hillsborough County hiking spree. But first, a couple of items I want to bring up here before we get to our guests, once local, once national. On the show, we devoted, I think, a few months ago, back in the summer, to a segment to the Sunrunner. That's the new bus line from PTSA. It's been around for, I guess, a year now, right? That provides regular service from downtown St. Petersburg to the beaches and back. I uh, never would have predicted this would have been controversial. Well, never. I, you know, Ben, you know, in, in Tampa Bay area and transportation, yeah, actually. Uh, and so, um, originally, of course, it was subsidized with free bus fare, uh, but as we reported here and other media outlets report. Uh, there were complaints from those living along the beaches that there were a surfeit of homeless people who uh, they say were taking the bus and then hanging out and doing some nasty things down there. That led PTSA's board uh, voting in August to resume paid fares a little bit earlier than expected. Okay, so we already had that, right? Then yesterday, let's go to the Pinellas County Legislative Delegations meeting, which they took place yesterday in Seminole. Of course, right now, throughout the state, every county is having one of these legislative meetings where your state, your state lawmakers are meeting with the public, with public officials, and with the public to hear what people are concerned about, what bills they're thinking about, or legislative funding for the upcoming session, which begins in January. So I attended this yesterday, and something ha interesting happened, and that is that um, – the chair of the delegation, Linda Cheney, who's from St. Pete Beach, she announced she's going to prepare a local bill that the delegation will review at a second legislative meeting next month that will update the special act in the legislature that created uh, PSTA. Now, I would say PTSA, PSTA, uh, Pinellas Sun Coast Transit Agency. Um, she said she didn't want to abolish this. But she talked about how how heavily subsidized it is by taxpayers, and are are the taxpayers getting their money's worth? And then she referenced, of course, the 2014 Greenlight Pinellas vote, which, if you'll remember, nine years ago was a vote about light rail, which uh, was a big thing at that time. We kind of forget about it now. Same thing in Hillsborough, of course, in 2010, where that initiative went down to defeat. Of course, Hillsborough voters voted for a transportation tax in 2018. But nevertheless, uh, so Representative Cheney wants to look at this. Uh, and I will so tell you this, that in addition to those comments yesterday, there were a group of folks in the audience wearing T-shirts uh, from basically representing uh, Pinellas County beach areas who say that this problem with the homeless is still going on. 
And uh, they talked about how uh, it's just creating havoc for tourists out there. One man said that he talked to somebody who visits out there uh, and he says no more. He's not coming out. And somebody even uh, gave the ultimate epithet, I guess, which is to compare it to my home city of San Francisco, uh, saying that because people are, are hawking drugs out there on Gulf Boulevard. Now, Recording in progress. Now, uh, I don't know if that's you know happening or not, but nevertheless, um, that message is getting to some important lawmakers here in Pinellas County. And again, uh, you know, they're now going to be looking at this agency. And I don't know. I, I think basically people who who are using the Sunrunner right now, or basically or basically rely on the transportation bus service in Pinellas County, you need to pay attention to what's going on. So I just wanted to bring that up. And then basically another issue. I will say the only other Democrat who was on the panel yesterday was. Um, Senator Daryl Roussan, he said he thought PSTA was doing a good job for what that's worth. Uh, so there we go. And then another thing, just nationally, just want to briefly say this before we go to our first guest, and that is, uh, I've mentioned this in this program before. Uh, so today we have Dean Phillips, who's a pretty much a nondescript Democratic congressman from uh, Minnesota, who was announcing he's running for president for the Democratic nomination for president. Yes, right. He's going against Joe Biden. But folks, just want to get, throw out some numbers here. Yesterday, a new Gallup poll came out that showed Joe Biden is at 37 percent approval rating. That's tied for his lowest since he's been president. It's not getting any better in terms of his poll approval ratings. And it, among Democrats, it dropped 11 percent among the last in the last month. Now they didn't say what that's for because I know Joe Biden's been getting uh, applause from fo- some folks for the way he's handling uh, the Israeli Hamas situation. But I don't know. Maybe some Democrats don't like that. Nevertheless, he's he was down 11 percent with Democrats and with independents overall, which really kind of maybe decide close elections in America. He's only at 35%. We just put that out there. We'll talk about this in upcoming shows, but I think that's something that people need to think about. Okay, so let's move on now. Um, now we're going to go to, let's see here. Uh, we've got Forrest Turbeville, the Director of Conservation and Land Management with Hillsborough mm-hmm. County. Joining us in studio. Yes, and Ben Montgomery, take it away. Uh, now in its eighth year, the Hillsborough hiking spree is upon us starting November 1st. Uh, residents from Hillsborough County will be encouraged to take to the trails, get out and see the parks. There's some uh, prizes awarded for certain things. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, in its eighth year, the hiking spree kicks off with a hike and activities at the Edward Medard Conservation Park on Saturday, November 4th. A guided hike at the J.C. Hanley Sports Complex on November 18th tailored uh, specifically to Pokemon Go enthusiasts like Ray and uh, other <laughs> my EV Pokemon <laughs> <laughs> and other uh, uh, tailored activities over the next few months to get people out of doors. Uh, this is the time of year, right? I mean, we complain about the heat of the the summertime, and uh, finally we're getting some crisp wind coming down from the north. Occasionally, it's time to get out there. So we're uh, joined by uh, Forrest Turbeville, the director of Hillsborough County Conservation and Environmental Lands Manage- Management Department. Forrest, will you tell us about this hiking spree? How did this uh, come to be, and, and what's going on? Sure. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, as you mentioned, the hiking spree uh, begins on November 1st. Uh, and this year's hiking spree uh, trail list features 25 trails at uh, 22 parks and preserves located through Hillsborough County. Uh, and during that time, if you complete at least eight hikes between November 1st, 2023 and March 31st of next year, uh, you can earn a limited edition patch a uh, medallion for a walking stick, or a pet bandana, uh, which is quite interesting. 
Uh, one of the hikes uh, can be at a location of the participant's choice uh, that is not on the list. Uh, as you mentioned, the kickoff event will be November 4th uh, at Edward Medard Park, and that will be from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., and that's going to include guided hikes, uh, also workshops on topics like orienteering and how to make your own hiking sticks and trail mix, along with the uh, hiking spree merchandise and giveaways. And uh, Edward Medard Park is located at uh, 6140 Turkey Creek Road uh, in Plant City. Uh, the event is free. Uh, but of course, registration is encouraged. Yeah. How many people participate in this annually? Do you have a sense of that? Uh, last year, it was, uh, I believe, 2,000. Oh, fantastic. 2,000 yeah. people getting out, hiking the trails, and then going through the process of uh, submitting uh, their materials so that you could take a look at whether they qualify for one of these medallions or patches. Is that the idea? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, again, the point here is uh, it, even if you just get out one time, uh, get out to a preserve, one of our conservation parks, uh, it, that's really all you need just with just one time. Some people, you know, they, they're avid hikers, uh, bikers, so they get out all the time. But for those who have never uh, experienced uh, one of these sites, just try it one time and see if you like it. And, how, and, and I guarantee you'll be hooked. How can people find a list of participating parks and trails? Where do they go for that? So you can go to uh, Hillsborough County's website, which is hcf, as in Frank, lgov.net backslash hiking spree. Again, hcflgov.net backslash hiking spree. I've just Googled Hillsborough hiking spree and pulled up, uh, looks like two or three pages with information. So if you're interested, just plug that into the Google bar, Hillsborough hiking spree, and uh, you'll get what you're looking for. All right. So uh, pitch these trails to us. What What's your favorite trail? What um, uh, I'm sure you're out and about a lot. What uh, What's your favorite trail and why should people uh, go out now this time of year? Mm -hmm. Well, in terms of our trails, there, there's a lot of different options. Depends on if you like uh, mountain biking, uh, hiking, multi-use trails. So, so really, there, there's many options here. I, I would say my favorite hiking trail is at our Blackwater Creek Nature Preserve, which is up in Northeast Hillsborough County, uh, directly off uh, County Road 39. And uh, beautiful site, uh, really what we call a reference site from an environmental perspective, Beautiful area, Pine Flatwoods, uh, you got Blackwater Creek running directly through it, which ultimately uh, ends in the Hillsborough River. Uh, just an absolutely gorgeous site, uh, 1,800 acres, so you have plenty of space to roam. Uh, in terms of actual like running, or if you uh, want to bike on a paved surface, I would recommend Flatwoods Park mm. in New Tampa, 5,000 acres. Uh, we have a nine-mile uh, multi-use trail. Uh, and also several uh, unpaved trails as well for hiking and biking at that particular site. And uh, also the Upper Tampa Bay Trail, which a lot of folks are familiar with in Northwest Hillsboro. Uh, Upper Tampa Bay Trail stretches from town and country in the south all the way up to Odessa, uh, almost to the Pasco County line in the north. And that's 11 miles of, of paved trail as well. So, uh, uh, all depends on on really what you're looking for. Lots to do out there. I know Ray's favorite trail. Ray and his son's favorite trail is at Lettuce Lake Park. Yeah, we go to Lettuce Lake. So I have a question. If if I'm somebody who's listening to the radio right now, hears about the hiking spree, says I want a pet bandana 
or, or anything, but then you show up. So do you just go to the office at Lettuce Lake or do you sign up everything? Everything's online. Everything's online. Okay, so yeah, do absolutely. everything everything online. Yeah, we, yeah. we, we love uh, Lettuce Lake and, and, and all What is it that parts. keeps y'all going back to Lettuce Lake? Well, my son is three and a half. He'll be four. So he's been going there since he could walk. And for him, it's always just been gators, right? That's the famous, like, that's where you take people to if they want to see a gator. I took somebody from California. It's amazing when somebody from California sees a gator in the wild because it's like oh, a yeah. totally foreign thing um, for them. So, so we love that and, and we love seeing that. I have, I have a question. What is the state of like conservation and either expanding these trails or protecting them? I just recently took a walk through parts of the USF Forest Preserve, which is obviously owned by the university, but it is close to, to that part. And they just came out of a fight where they kind of had to fight off an RFP. Um, for you and your job and kind of preserving these lands for us and future generations, what does that look like uh, for you on on the county side, and how can you know voters and things like that uh, support you in your your efforts? Sure. Well, for each one of our conservation parks and our ELAP preserves, we have a management plan, and the management plan is important because it really um, dictates how you're going to manage that site, not just in terms of uh, you know the environmental considerations, whether that might be prescribed burning mm-hmm. or exotic plant control, uh, but it also addresses the human element as well. Uh, you know, uh, keeping trails out of certain areas that are environmentally sensitive, uh, making sure that uh, existing trails are maintained properly, and uh, really trying to stick to uh, the vision of the management plan. We update those management plans every 10 years uh, to, you know, change with the times, so to speak, if anything does change. Uh, But yeah, it's very important to uh, especially in our parks, because when you think of conservation parks and nature preserves, most of these are passive activities. They're not like your active parks and recreation parks where you have uh, athletics and you know multiple playgrounds and, and, and more active uh, type activities. Uh, so uh, we want to make sure that we stay true uh, to the passive nature of these parks and make sure that you know when you go out to a, a park you know 20, 30, 50 years from now, or, you know, your kids or your grandkids, that you get the same experience that we do today. Now, is there, pre- is there pressure on these parks uh, from development? Uh, not so much on the parks that we've acquired. Uh, certainly, uh, development uh, is a concern yeah. uh, throughout uh, portions of the county. Um, there's, we've had a lot of growth uh, in the last uh, 10 years especially. Uh, so from the perspective of our ELAP program and trying to uh, acquire the most important parcels that are remaining throughout the county. Uh, that's something that we work on on a daily basis. We're, we're very lucky right now in that uh, the Board of County Commissioners recently approved uh, $59 million uh, of additional bond funds for land acquisition. And uh, we, are, we, we are spending that very quickly and very wisely oh, wow. on uh, very key strategic pieces within Uh, our uh, network of nature preserves and conservation parks. Again, the key is to try to link these areas together so that they don't become fragmented. Mm -hmm. Is that for wildlife uh, transit, for wildlife passage? It's for both wildlife as as well as... uh, Continuity of of, of a park and the opportunity to... I mean, imagine Trout Creek is a small park right up there. Imagine if it was segmented and even having to cross the parking lot sometimes, you kind of feel, you know, human uh, presence um, in the park. So when you think of contiguous, you know, stretches of, of land and the opportunity to, to be there un- undisturbed is yeah pretty cool. And it's really and it's a tough balance, right? Because you think about, gosh, somebody could be living here too. 
That's and, exactly and that's, right. That's tough. Yeah, and it's really for us too, uh, in terms of connecting these these lands. You know, from a recreational standpoint, we want to be able to connect these trails together and uh, ha- have a great user experience. So it's for for both wildlife and and humans. Now, you um, Ray mentioned this uh, the, the forest preserve. Tell me about that because remember a couple that was a, a big in the news a couple of years ago. The, the USF uh, Forest Preserve, seven hundred and seventy acres, I guess it was that the county was considering purchasing back then. What all happened with that? We should tell people again. We're speaking with Forrest Turbeville, the director of conservation and land management with Hillsborough County. Yeah, what was the deal there? Sure. Uh, so we were involved. Uh, the site was nominated to the ELAP program. It ranked very, very highly. Uh, it is considered uh, an essential site. We have different ranking levels within the ELAP program. Uh, but uh, long story short, it, it was ranked as an essential site. Uh, so it is an approved site on our ELAP list. Uh, the university and the state have, have told us that there are no plans to develop it. Uh, I, I think um, uh, things have changed considerably over the past you know, 18 months with regard to that uh, area and, and um, the university's vision for it. Mm-hmm. which is now to basically keep it as a nature preserve and maybe construct, a, I don't know exactly where, but it's somewhere either on the property or adjacent to it, uh, a, a very nice nature center. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're, we're very excited uh, just from an environmental perspective yeah. that that's the path that they're going down. Yeah, Nicole Brand had, had mentioned, I mean, even just thinking about a private preserve like that, as far as, you know, only being open to students, you know, the possibility for public access down the road um, on that property is, is really cool, which has a rich history over there. I didn't realize there was like a governor's or a president's house for USF and all this stuff. And the guy that bought it's amazing. So, yeah, I wonder. Uh, so I've been pitching uh, for a couple of years now uh, this idea of um, to, to opening city parks in the city of Tampa to camping once a year. We would call it Campa, uh, just for a day, just for a day. Uh, the the notion that uh, you encourage everybody to get out and pitch their tent in the city park and uh, give the uh, kids who might never have this experience the opportunity to sleep under the stars. Are there places in Hillsborough County where people can camp? Yes, we have uh, plenty of camping sites. Uh, our, our conservation parks, uh, of which we have 16, uh, three of those parks uh, have camping. That would be E.G. Simmons Park, mm. uh, Lithia Springs, as well as Edward Medard Park in uh, eastern Hillsborough County. Uh, we have a couple of ELAP sites where you can camp. That That's by permit, obviously, because um, there are you know, potentially some concerns there with, with fires and you know you, you don't want something to get out of control there so it'd be like pr- your primitive camping primitive camping yeah. absolutely so we have a few primitive camping sites uh that do require um uh, permits but outside of that um yeah our, our three conservation parks have uh wonderful camping opportunities both like rv camping as well as tent camping and among those i've been to hillsborough river uh state park a handful of times um that uh is always a pleasant experience uh, unless you have uh, squirrels and raccoons trying to get into your bread and your ice cooler, yeah, that, that's your fault. That's <laughs> your fault, man. <laughs> uh, I, I wonder if uh, if um, you know if folks listening might. And by the way, you're all encouraged to call if you have any questions uh, or if you want to join the conversation here. Eight one three two three nine nine six six three, or send us an email at wmnf. Uh, DJ at WMNF.org. I wonder if are, are any of the Hillsboro ELAP lands or con- conservation lands part of the uh, Florida Wildlife Corridor? That's a great question. Uh, currently, they are not. 
the Florida Wildlife Corridor, the, the, the legal boundary of that corridor, uh, only extends uh, about maybe a half a mile into Hillsborough County. And it's the very, very southeastern portion of the county where I think in that particular area, uh, almost all of the lands are owned by a Mosaic Corporation. So um, with that said, uh, we have panthers in Hillsborough County. We have I've do- heard this. Documented panthers just you know within the last you know year, 18 months. Uh, we have video, we have photographs, we, we know they're on our ELAP sites, we know they're on adjacent private lands, and uh, they're within a stone's throw of that uh, Florida Wildlife Corridor boundary. Uh, so uh, we are going to be uh, talking with, with folks to see if at some point in the future, perhaps that boundary could be expanded uh, into, at the very least, eastern Hillsborough County to incorporate uh, the Alifire River uh, watershed as well as portions of the Little Manatee, because that is where we have seen them recently. Yeah. What about the Lower Green Swamp? Uh, any any um, uh, thoughts about that? Uh, is that part of Hill, Hillsborough County? Does uh, the county border uh, contain uh, the Lower Green Swamp? And can we preface just a little bit for the listeners who may not know even know what the Green Swamp is, because it's romanticized in this room a lot. Can, can we talk about that is just very quickly? Yeah, headwaters for what four major rivers? Is that right? Peace, Alafia. Got to help me here. Uh, Hillsboro, Hillsboro, yeah, yeah, of course. With Lacucci. and with Lacucci, yeah, 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 absolutely. So, uh, like the, uh, the the I'll say the physiographic boundary of the Green Swamp is with uh, in about a mile and a half of the uh, county border, Hillsboro okay. County border, just a little bit north of there. Uh, but we do have our lower Green Swamp. Uh, preserve, you know, hence, hence the name Lower, uh, within uh, extreme northeast Hillsborough County, and it incorporates 13,800 acres of protected land. And we're trying to, to uh, get some additional land right now uh, adjacent to it, uh, perhaps another 1,000 acres under conservation easement, uh, just to ensure that the lands surrounding the preserve don't become developed in the future. Uh, not that necessarily, you know, development is going to uh, hurt a 14,000-acre preserve. However, uh, we try to um, ensure that we don't have high-intensity development around our preserves as much as we can because when we conduct things like prescribed burns or we have to control exotic plants, uh, those are um, activities, you know, with prescribed burning where you can throw up smoke and stuff like that. So, the more uh, natural buffers that we have around our preserves where you know, we don't have intensive development, uh, the more it can enhance our management activities. And again, from the environmental perspective, give people uh, that sense of being out in the wilderness. And 20 years from now, we want that preserve to look the same way it does today and hopefully actually look better if we're able to uh, continue all of our management activities, you know, without interference. And your name is Forrest. And I'm, I'm always um, taken aback, you know, with nature folks and people who are in charge of green spaces, how much work they have to do outside of those spaces. You mentioned talking about prescribed burns, preserving that kind of border there. What is your communication with somebody who really is never going to step foot in a park? How do you explain to them the importance of, of the park and prescribed burns and things like that? Like, hey, we're going to set this part of the, you know, forest on fire, but it's actually going to help you. Um, how much of that do you do, um, you know, in your job? And, and what is your communication like with somebody who really isn't going to go on a hiking spree? And how do you explain to them the importance of uh, those areas? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, we have reached out to uh, Hillsborough Television. Uh, they've done several uh, spots uh, for us uh, th that have been great that talk about prescribed burning uh, and the importance of it. We also reach out to uh, neighborhoods that are adjacent to our preserves. Uh, we hand out flyers explaining what a prescribed burn is. Uh, Can you force to explain that to us right now? Just those who aren't familiar, because we hear it all the time, but like, why do we do this? Oh, absolutely. So uh, historically, uh, most habitats, uh, including many wetland habitats within Florida, uh, burned on a regular cycle. Uh, depending upon the habitat, it might be once every one to two years. could be on a 10 to 15-year cycle. Very natural part of the process. Very natural part of the process. Uh, so um, that is how these habitats have evolved. If you don't burn, well, there's two things that happen. Number one, you start to lose the habitat, right? You, you get an overgrowth of certain species, we'll say saw palmetto, cabbage palms, and eventually, uh, instead of having, say, a pine flatwoods ecosystem, you wind up with an oak hammock heavy in saw palmetto that uh, becomes more moist, more shaded, and then ultimately you can't really burn that area anymore. So really, with a lack of... of um, uh, these days, of course, natural fires, you know, which used to roll across the landscape uh, but unchecked, uh, we have to conduct prescribed burns. And uh, we do this in a very, you know, methodical, you know, logical fashion. Uh, we work with Division of Forestry. And uh, what we try to do is uh, burn in blocks, um, could be as small as 10 acres, could be as large as a couple of hundred acres. But the intent is to uh, over a period of years within each individual preserve to try to get each particular burn unit burned on its cycle so that we can, at the very least, maintain the habitats that are currently there. Because again, if you don't do it, you're going to wind up losing the habitat and the very uh, value of the property uh, that, that you spent perhaps millions of, do of dollars acquiring. So that's number one. Number two is uh, from a, um, a standpoint of protecting adjacent homes and, and uh, you know, residences, uh, it's extremely important that we prescribe burn these areas because if you don't, uh, you can get uh, what happened out in California, you know, four or five years ago. So a lot of fuel, tender A lot of fuel, a lot of fuel. And so we uh, prioritize prescribed burning throughout our ELAB sites. And uh, so I want people to understand that uh, prescribed burning is, is a good type of fire. What we don't want are wildfires that start to rage across the landscape. For uh, uh, folks uh, new to hiking, Hillsborough County suggests uh, uh, getting your hands on, if you want to participate, a correct trail map for your destination, maybe a compass or a GPS, plenty of drinking water, appropriate shoes, and sun protection. Having hiked with a couple of newcomers before, um, uh, especially uh, young young women uh, who I spent uh, some time in the Smoky Mountains with, they're very concerned about ticks. Is that an issue around here? And what would you suggest for people going out going outdoors worried about bugs? Let's just say. Sure. Well, uh, I would say if you're worried about ticks or bugs, uh, and and you're not an experienced uh, hiker, I, I would start with uh, one of our conservation parks, you know, Lettuce Lake Park, Flatwoods Park. Uh, because they have uh, paved trails, right, that take you through wooded areas, 
but uh, they're they're not uh, off-road trails, right? You're not hiking through vegetation and stuff like that. So that'd be my recommendation if you're, you know, uh, a little bit concerned about bugs or, or ticks uh, or you know, snakes, what what have you. Uh, go, go ahead and try out our conservation parks first, because most of them, uh, if not all of them, have uh, paved trails that you can utilize. And I know we're getting close on time. I was wondering if I could sneak this question in. You know, so much of uh, going to these trails and preserving them is about creating a sense of place and connection with a resident, a human being who lives here with the land they live on. That's what's so cool about living in Florida. It's it is still really raw in a lot of places, and there's so many moments when you fall in love with this place that you live. Um, you mentioned the Blackwater uh, Trail a little bit. Um, Forrest, can you talk about like when you have those moments um, and what they look like? What are you looking at? Like, What are you experiencing and seeing on these trails that makes you be like, I'm in the right job. I want to stay here. I don't want to move to Santa Cruz. Wow. Yeah, I, I've had several of those moments over the last um, almost 30 years. Um, yeah, Blackwater Creek, tremendous site. Uh, highly recommend that if you're into um, off-road hiking, uh, off-trail hike, off, well, when I say off-trail, non-paved hiking, go to Blackwater Creek or Lower Green Swamp. You're, you're going to love it. And when you get out there in the middle of that preserve, you feel a sense of uh, isolation, but but in a positive way. Like I just got away from all of the hustle and bustle of the city. Uh, I can actually hear nature. Uh, you sit down for just a few minutes. Uh, we have benches out there. Even if you just sit on the ground for a few minutes, just look around, look up, look at the trees. And it's almost like you're transported into another world while you're out there. And that's one of the things I love about our program is that we've been able to protect some of the best remaining natural sites in Hillsborough County. And you can find this experience at really any one of our conservation parks or preserves. Uh, my recommendation is just to, you know, hike into the interior of the site, uh, get away from any major roads. And uh, if you want to close your eyes and just listen. You mentioned the um, uh, unpaved trails. Are they marked? Are they blazed uh, out there? Will folks get lost, uh, you know, in, in the Blackwater Preserve? We do have uh, marked trails, yeah, but blazed trails. And uh, at Lower Green Swamp Preserve in particular, uh, it's, it's highly marked. It's well marked. So, yeah. so you're going to be able to uh, find your way out. Uh, for us, uh, we have a a listener who wrote in and says the Alafia River does not begin in Green Swamp. The fourth river is the Akoaha. That was Akoaha. my that was my my mistake. Wait, the, I I'm not sure that's right either. Okay, yeah, no, it's I, I think it's the Peace River. Oh, okay, Hillsboro. Right, you mentioned uh, yeah, the Manatee with, with mm -hmm. Lacucci and uh, wow, the third one escapes me <laughs> or fourth one escapes. We'll, me. we'll fact check that. Yeah, we'll get our community radio fact checkers on that right now. <laughs> right. I um, so uh, I, I love using the All Trails app to not only locate trails nearby, but also to use uh, their uh, map system. Um, is there anything that you recommend, uh, Forrest, in terms of folks who are just trying to get oriented with the trails in Hillsborough County? How can they find one of these fancy maps that you brought in, by the way? So uh, you can actually print that out on our website. Oh, cool. So uh, yep, and uh, if you want to. Uh, get a, a trail map for a particular park or preserve, uh, go in there and click on um, find a park. 
you click on find a park uh, within the uh, Hillsborough County uh, parks page, uh, you can literally have access to uh, all the trail maps within uh, every park within Hillsborough County. Very good. Once again, the uh, Hillsborough hiking spree kicks off November 1st, uh, November 1st. Uh, and and uh, also uh, celebrates that kickoff on Saturday, November 4th, with a guided hike at the J.C. Hanley Sports Complex. Uh, I'm sorry, at the Edward Medard, November 4th, at the Edward Medard Conservation Park. And then uh, that's on November 4th. And then a guided hike at the J.C. Hanley Sports Complex on November 18th, really tailored to Pokemon Go enthusiasts. Yeah, before we let you go for us, I think we do have a call here. So um, we'll just bring this person up here before... Um, Hi, you're on WMNF. Oh, is the uh, is the call? Um, hello. <laughs> hey, I don't know what's going on here. Yes, is the caller there? No. Okay, Sarah. Anyhow, register for uh, the hiking spree at hcflgov.net slash hiking spree, hcflgov.net slash hiking spree. And this year's hiking spree trail list features 25 trails at 22 parks and preserves throughout the county. Now, do people have to hike the entire trail, and how do you keep track of that? It's on the honor system. On oh, honor no, system. No cheating, people. <laughs> and I think it's Sarah, baby. Are you Sarah, Sarah's dad? Oh, my goodness. It's your daughter calling it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so it would have been a Sarah softball. <laughs> All right, Forrest. Hey, thank you so much for joining us, coming yeah, in the studio you so today. Much. It's we been really great. Appreciate it. Yeah, I've, re- I've, re- really enjoyed it. All right, I've learned a lot here. So, all right, great guests here. All right, we're going to pivot it right now. If you're just tuning into, the, you're listening to the Skinny here on WMNF 88.5 FM. Again, Mitch Perry with Ben Montgomery, Ray Roa. Uh, now we're going to talk about um, about the opioid situation, right? Because there's so many different crises and things going on in this country. Uh, we just had this horrible gun shooting, of course, a, a couple days ago. But we've, we've had this issue with opioids, obviously, for several years now, uh, or actually decades, actually, when you think about it. Uh, just recently, uh, provisional data compiled by the Centers for Disease Control indicates that more than two-thirds of the reported 107,000 and 81 death drug overdose deaths in the United States last year involved synthetic opioids other than methadone, principally illicitly manufactured fentanyl known as xylazine. Will Atkinson is here to talk about what he and his group are doing to try to combat this ongoing health crisis. Will, good morning. Are you there? Yes, sir. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Will. Great to talk to you here. Uh, to let our listeners know, Will Will has been working in the substance use disorder field for going on about 15 years, I believe. Uh, in 2014, he co-founded the Recovery Epicenter Foundation, where he serves as the executive director. Uh, Will is a certified recovery support specialist, a certified recovery residence administrator, and a long-term, long-term board member of the Ford Association to recovery residencies. So thank you so much. Will, I met you, and I, and I shall tell our listeners, I saw you on Bay News 9, a story a couple days ago, and that reminded me that I did a story with you. Uh, you were part of another group of people about a year and a half ago uh, on Bay News 9. I was doing a story about a proposal, a legislative proposal by St. Pete Democrat Daryl Roussan, uh, peer specialist legislation. Uh, peers, well, tell our, tell our listeners what, what peer specialists are. So, uh, Thank you, and thank you for that initial story, and thank you for inviting me to this. Um, uh, Peer specialists are people with lived experience, uh, and while we wouldn't necessarily go to a doctor who's also had back surgery, uh, we do uh, enjoy sharing similar experiences with um, our 
community, our loved ones. It's what forms connections is that ability for us to say, hey, man, I've been there, too. Uh, and we can get through this together. And we found that type of style of approach to be very effective when it comes to addressing a substance use disorder, meaning as opposed to, hey, just take this and, and you'll be better. We connect individuals with other human beings who are dealing with the same issue but are overcoming it. And through that peer support, they together uh, make it out of the the. Uh, trench uh, of an act of addiction. And right. And that legislation by Roussan, which was uh, approved and signed by Governor DeSantis, was to allow those who were caught up in the criminal justice system uh, to become uh, peer specialists. And I remember interviewing you at the time, and you had not been caught up in the criminal justice system, but you realized, I think you said you were you were lucky, basically. Yeah, I was, I was just incredibly lucky. Like people like myself um, just didn't get caught. Uh, whereas others who could be uh, effective uh, in helping others are denied an opportunity in our current system uh, still, uh, unfortunately, despite the amazing bill that uh, Senator Roussan and uh, the governor signed. Um, it, we still have level two background screenings uh, that make it very difficult for uh, people uh, with a past that might involve a felony uh, to actively help others. Again, we're speaking with Will Atkinson. He's the executive director with the Recovery Epicenter Foundation in Pinellas County. Uh, after that 2022 session, the legislature passed and Governor DeSantis signed uh, a bill allowing pharmacists to dispense opioid-blocking drugs such as Narcan to caregivers who can use the treatment during a suspected overdose. Uh, and that's that's what you guys have been doing, right? And that's what Kate McVeigh's uh, report on Big News 9 was about the other day. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really proud of that. We uh, we started out with what we like to call the Gideon Narcan policy, uh, where up and down Highway 19 in Pasco and Pinellas, uh, we were working to put a uh, box of Narcan besides every uh, bed uh, right next to the Gideon uh, Bible um, in uh, hotel rooms up and down Highway 19. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we saw that expand into uh, bars, clubs, gas stations, um, businesses along a corridor that's well known for uh, those suspected overdoses or actual overdoses throughout the community. Um, and so that's now grown into multiple group projects with uh, Pinellas and Pasco health departments, uh, other community partners, um, so that we are saturating uh really the area with free Narcan. So what's what's really great is that if you're ever in a, a pinch now, Walgreens Publix um, has Narcan uh, available for purchase. Um, but, uh, but for free, uh, the Department of Children and uh, Health is making Narcan available to the community and uh, recovery community organizations like Recovery Epicenter Foundation uh, have it available for free. Uh, so if you or your loved one needs uh, Narcan, and even if you just want to keep it on hand because, you know, just in case. Right, absolutely, um, yeah. We're we're happy to give it out. And it's not, it is kind of expensive, right? I mean... If you go to the store, it's about $50 yeah. a box. And, yeah. and so um, the, the cost prohibitive nature of that, uh, I think, uh, makes distributing organizations uh, more important, especially because if you were like me, when I was in active use, I wasn't spending $50 on preventative. I was spending $50 on more drugs. Um, what were you so, using, uh, Tom, if I could ask? Uh, so I, oh, Will, uh, I'm sorry, Will. Yeah. 
that's okay. Um, it, I, I like to call myself a, a, a well, I, I would use anything that would change uh, my mind and mood. Mm. Uh, so it didn't matter what they put in front of me. Um, if they said it would get me high, uh, I would take it. I was preferable to uh, alcohol, uh, psychedelics, and opioids uh, because they were depressants on my system. Um, I, I, I've tried uh, uppers, uh, but it just didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't my style. Uh, that being said, in combination with the opioid uh, epidemic, we're finding fentanyl in cocaine. We're finding fentanyl in method, uh, methamphetamine. We're finding fentanyl uh, in crack. We're, we're finding like the, that they are cutting um, a lot of different substances with fentanyl right now. And so, even if uh, your particular uh, if, even if the particular itch that you're scratching uh, mm -hmm. isn't an opioid, you may find an opioid in your in your supply. Yeah, so I mean, Narcan is always a good thing to hold have on hand. Uh, can I, can I be very naive about this and ask uh, what what is it? Why fentanyl uh, in terms of c cutting it with other drugs? Just the the cost. What what is it? You're gonna have to ask people more. Um, involved in the drug trade than I am, yeah. uh, meaning I'm, I'm on the, the side of, of trying to help them survive. Right. Um, I don't particularly understand the idea of let's potentially kill my own customer. Right. Um, it doesn't make business sense to me, so I don't know why. Um, that being said, uh, we are finding it out there, and that is an alarming trend worth sharing with your listeners. Absolutely. I mean, it's, um, it's been for several years now. Uh, it's an absolute crisis. Uh, of course, uh, China through Mexico, what have you, in America. Uh, again, we're speaking with Will Atkinson, the executive director with the Recovery Epicenter Foundation in Pinellas County. Um, well, um, I know one of the main issues in getting the way of patients seeking treatment is uh, stigma, uh, seeking help for a substance use disorder. How do you uh, and your group deal with that? So um, thank you for the, the question. We, uh, it's really fascinating. Um, if you go and are a, if you go about your day and you are a functional uh, addict or alcoholic, meaning that you are unable to stop and you do not feel okay without something in your system, but you never reach out for help. No one really looks at you differently. Now, if you start experiencing consequences of your active use, uh, if you start getting into criminal uh, circumstances, which is a, a byproduct of substance use disorder, um, all of a sudden then the view is, okay, this person is a danger to myself, my neighborhood, my society. So the minute that you ask for help, all of a sudden then you are experiencing this level of stigma. Now, I got to tell you, that's getting better daily. By looking at this as a medical concern as opposed to a moral concern, like historically we looked at it as like, hey, people who use drugs are just bad people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm grateful to say that each day that another human being says, hey, man, I'm in recovery. Yeah, I was I did some stupid stuff when I was drinking and using. Um, but because I don't drink and use today, I don't have to do those negative things anymore. Uh, and the more people self-disclose in that way, uh, the more we're reducing stigma in each individual family, each individual neighborhood, each individual community, and inevitably to the point where um, last night up in Pasco, uh, there was a beautiful uh, nope vigil uh, for those that we've lost to substance misuse. 
Uh, earlier in the month, there was one in Pinellas. Um, we are, like, as a society, growing beyond the idea of let's punish somebody for having an addiction. And so I'm I'm very grateful to share that Recovery Epicenter and other uh, organizations like ours, recovery community organizations specifically, are doing good work on the ground to try and uh, humanize a uh, issue that is frankly killing a, a generation. I'm curious, what role does law enforcement and law enforcement agencies play in, in the efforts of your organization? So we're very grateful and lucky to partner with uh, uh, law enforcement agencies uh, throughout uh, Hillsborough, Pasco, and Pinellas County. Um, they uh, share their data on overdose uh, deaths as well as Narcan distributions uh, through either the uh, health departments or directly through recovery roundtables uh, that our RCO and others have established throughout the area where uh, in essentially collaboration and support of one another, uh, we had, uh, attempt to bring down uh, those overdoses and or improve uh, survivability based around uh, location area. We do everything we can to uh, work with our police and law enforcement and judicial system uh, to help an individual avoid continual recidivism while uh, acknowledging the uh, negative, like we, we, we don't get to just uh, say, hey, we didn't, we didn't mess up here and sweep it under the rug. Uh, we work with individuals to essentially uh, make their restitution to society and move forward. Um, and from that type of uh, uh, justice um, and um, collaborative effort. We've seen a lot of positive growth where some police and sheriff's offices are more supportive than others. Uh, but overall, uh, we are seeing a push to uh, decriminalize and thus destigmatize uh, some of the uh, consequences of um, a substance use disorder. Now, thefts and fraud and violence and and those things are, are still always going to be crimes, regardless of whether you're drinking and, and using or not. But getting help for these things is on the rise. And I'm very grateful for that. Do you feel like um, uh, the, the very recent um, popular media attention on the opioid crisis, and I'm talking about books like Beth Macy's Dope Sick and the Netflix series Painkiller, have done anything to destigmatize? drug use? Um, yeah, I, I do. I think it, it allows, um, yes, I, I, I do. I think it, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of now someone who doesn't have a substance use disorder. I imagine getting to peek behind the veil of what these, uh, people like myself have gone through, mm -hmm. um, is a positive aspect of, uh, you know, humanizing, uh, uh, someone with a, a substance use disorder. Um, I think there's lots of pushes to uh, destigmatize this process, some of which are, are positive, some are negative. Um, but in the end, the attempt is what matters. Uh, and so as we all more than likely um, become more and more familiar with someone who 
uh, has uh, struggled with an addiction at some point in their life, um, I think we're we're all slowly coming to terms with, hey, you know, we, we just need to address this um, as opposed to continue to uh, send them to prison, lock them up, right. you know, sweep them under the rug. Um, and I'm, I'm proud to say that that those efforts are gaining traction. Again, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Skinny here on WMNF. We're speaking with Will Atkinson. He's the executive director with the Recovery Epicenter Foundation. There was a question a, a, little mo- a moment ago about law enforcement. Well, let me ask you about, I was speaking to Julianne Holt, the Hillsborough County Public Defender last weekend, interviewing her actually at this Criminal Justice Summit. Uh, she talked about drug courts that they have there in Hillsborough County. Um, have you, I mean, again, to working with, like you mentioned, the judicial system, with, with law enforcement, uh, do they have that over in Pinellas Pasco, by the way? Do they, are there drug courts? Yes. There? Yeah, yeah. Yes. I, uh, and what do you think about the whole idea of having this? I think it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I think it's incredibly important. Um, it's actually really cool. One of the, the lesser known facts is drug courts were actually started down in Miami in yeah. uh, the 1980s. I did look that uh, up at one point. Yeah, doing a story. Yeah. They've grown all over the country as a way of, uh, you know, avoiding overcrowding as well as helping individuals who, um, you know, uh, they believe they can help. The new push in these drug courts is to attaching uh, the process to peer support uh, and by having that person with lived experience to kind of help them navigate, which once again is why we need to make it more accessible for people who have overcome uh, having had felonies and, and gone so that they can be a part of the process because that makes that peer support process even more authentic. Um, uh, we are, are hopefully uh, going to see a collaborative effort uh, put together with, uh, you know, Pinellas, Pasco and Hillsboro uh, drug courts. Um, we're, we're submitting something to the Department of Children and Families with our uh, ally, the Hillsborough Recovery Coalition, uh, to that effect of getting peers into the courtrooms to directly benefit uh, participants of those courts. Uh, we mentioned the legislature uh, a while ago. The legislature did pass last year, finally. It had been several years trying to do this, uh, pe- passing fent- legalizing fentanyl test strips, which again, yes, yeah, you can uh, people can use um, to basically test your drugs that you don't want to have, uh, you know, fentanyl on. You just want to get <laughs> high. Frankly, you don't want to die. Uh, and um, I know a lot of groups had been, frankly, used, you know, just, that was illegal until a year ago, whatever, but uh, they were using, giving those out anyway. Uh, so that's got to help as well to some extent, right? It does. Um, and I, I think it, uh, it's really excellent that we have that additional tool to be able to um, utilize in this, you know, effort to save lives. Um, and and I would just throw it out there that it's better than not having it. Mm. Um, but please keep in mind if you're if you're listening to this and you are actively using any opiates or any drugs that might have opiates in it, those fentanyl testing strips are not a hundred percent accurate. Um, but once again, it's better to have it than not have it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. if you have those fentanyl testing strips, please still continue to use them. Um, I don't want to lead your uh, listeners to believe that they're ineffective. Um, it's just we should always assume, you know, whatever we're, we're uh, ingesting into our body, uh, that it's uh, not safe as opposed to lean on the side of safe until it's been tested. Uh, and even with those tests, there's only about a 90 percent, uh, you know, rate of 
accuracy. Let me, so, yeah. Uh, Let me ask you this, and this, I, I'm going to sound really naive about this, but uh, I want to make sure I pronounce this right. Uh, Buprenorphine? Uh, uh, buprenorphine. This is a really a big, this basically helps patients stop taking fentanyl, right? This is like, uh, I don't know if it's like, uh, how would you just classify it in terms of how important this is in terms of people who have fentanyl issues. Can you tell me more about this? Yeah. So it's, uh, the, the generic name is, is Suboxone. Um, and, uh, it's a, uh, evolution of, uh, the, the age old methadone, um, approach, which is a harm reduction me- medication assisted recovery effort, um, that has data that shows people stay more engaged with, uh, substance use disorder treatment, uh, an ability to go to school, work, maintain their family uh, expectations. Here, here's my, my cautionary tale for buprenorphine. It's an amazing process when utilized as a uh, withdrawal, detox, and or step-down process. If, on the other hand, the idea is to just supplement uh, one medication for the next, meaning at some point along the lines, if we become opioid addicts, we are self-medicating just to avoid being sick, which Suboxone helps us not be sick. The problem is, is if we just continue to take only the Suboxone and never improve upon what we're doing for our own recovery, which would include stepping down off of that medication, we are only developing a tolerance which has to continue to build and build and build until eventually it doesn't scratch the itch anymore. And so in my opinion, the reason we have so many overdose deaths is you're combining a lack of resources with individuals who have been given resources who are returning to active use even after having been treated. So Suboxone, methadone, these processes are very important in the immediate sense but if treated as the treatment, almost as if you have diabetes and this is your insulin, we aren't seeing that be a long-term survivable strategy. All that right. being said, yeah. there are people who have been on methadone and suboxone for 10, 20, 30 years. They're almost the exception that proves the rule. All right. We've been speaking with Will Atkinson. Will, we're going to have to leave it there. Will Atkinson is the executive director with the Recovery Epicenter Foundation. Will, I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. All right. Uh, okay, so want to make sure. Thank you so much again. Uh, by the way, uh, Art in Your Ears coming up. Our, uh, Joel is going to be talking to Joel a couple Ellen. of playwrights and uh, the, uh, the play Free Fall and Power Stories. So that will be coming up shortly. Uh, I'm Mitch Perry along with Ben Montgomery, Ray oh, Roa. Our guy Skip here, engineering Skip here. Skip Sassy on the board. Irene on the phones. Yes. I'm half a Ben behind me. Mitch to the left of me. Thank you for joining us here on WMNF Tampa. See you next week. See you next week.